Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Samuel chapter number 11. Amen. Appreciate um, Brother Terry's help here over the past few weeks. Amen. As we've been uh, working through the absenteeism of different ones. Amen. Because of sickness and such. Amen. We'll come out on the other side, though, victorious. Second Samuel chapter number 11. And just as a perk of being pastor today, I want to wish my son a happy birthday. Amen. Hey had maybe an hour at lunch with him today, and so I want to wish him a happy birthday. Amen. And the house of the Lord. Thankful for my kids. Appreciate them. Uh, by and large, they're decently behaved, and uh, they, they, they have a peculiar life, and they do really well. Amen. With that. And so I'm thankful for them. Amen. And uh, being able to endure the rigors of being pastor's kids at times. Amen. Second Samuel chapter number 11. I want to start with verse number six, verse number six, and I want to read a few verses of scripture here, amen, this evening, and I'll be mindful of your time, amen, but we, 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 there's no special tonight, so we got extra time. Verse six, starting, the Bible says, and David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite, Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house, wash thy feet. Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord, and went not down to his house. When they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. My lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie? With my wife, as thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. David said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow. I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. When David had called him, he did eat and drink before him and made him drunk. That even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house about five or six times just in the verses i read to you tonight there is some idea of of home that is entertained here david is admonishing uriah to go home and the bible oft times uh, rebuts that uriah did not go down did not go down to his house uh, although there were things following Uriah to his home, he, he did not go. Although David intoxicated Uriah, he did not go. He did not go to his He said, I will not do this thing. Amen. For a little while tonight, I want to minister this with the help of the Lord. 
We cannot go home. We cannot go home. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. We need heaven to talk here in the next few moments. Father, Lord, I come to you this evening. I'm grateful, Lord, today, God, for everyone. God is gathered together in this house tonight. I'm asking God for your anointing. God, your anointing, God, that destroys, Lord, God, every yoke of bondage, Lord, could enter into this room tonight. God, every heart, every soul, every circumstance, God, that has been drugged into this house. Lord, I pray, Jesus, today, you are the almighty God, the all-powerful God. Have your perfect will and your way, Jesus, in this place. God, mark every bit of air from my lips. God, let the words that you would have said be spoken, God, by my mouth. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, let there be a word of encouragement, God. Lord, let there be a fit word spoken as apples of gold and pictures of silver. I pray, Lord, tonight in this place. Your Holy Ghost, God, I invite in this place. Sweep through this house. God, I pray from the pulpit, God, to the pew, Lord Jesus, God, the working God of your spirit, Lord, and will not fail, Lord, to give you the praise and glory and honor, Lord, for what you accomplish in this place tonight. In the lovely name of Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated this evening in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone say we, we. cannot Go home. We cannot go home. Years ago, in the year of 1951, there was a poet by the name of Dylan Thomas, some may be familiar with. He published a poem in that particular year. And in that poem, there are a couple of phrases that are consistently repeated in the poem that he composed. Those couple phrases that were in that poem that continuously are mentioned throughout the different stanzas there are these. Do not go gently into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. It was a poem that instructs one and instructs all, whomever would read it, to not easily consent to the struggles, not easily consent to the pains and the sorrows and the affairs of this life. It urged the men and the women that read it that they need to fight. Fight for everything that they had. Fight even whenever the clutches of death were right there at the very end. Just keep on fighting. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't throw up your hands or wave a white towel, but give everything that you have. This was written, Dylan, in the process of writing this, was writing this with his father in mind. He was steadily going blind. His father was. His health was failing quite majorly. He was slipping down that path and that road to ultimately uh, toward death someday. And so with his father in mind who was losing his eyesight, losing his health, and had death that was peering at him, amen, through the lens of life, he's speaking in that sense with his dad in mind saying, rage, rage against the dying of the light. In other words, dad, push on back. Fight against this impending blindness that's coming upon you. Fight against death that seems to be knocking at your door. And not just for his father, but Dylan for himself. He had the pen touched to the page because he was considering his own life. Dylan was an alcoholic. He suffered from alcoholism. He drank all the time. Amen. He, as a matter of fact, died at an age of 39. Just one year after his father died, he died. And so he's telling himself, he's telling his father, we need to fight against these things. No sense that an addiction or alcoholism should have any type of sway over our life. We need to rage against it. Not give in to it. 
Not give up to it, but rage against it. We need to fight, Dad, against the demons of blindness and the demons of alcoholism. Fight against the weakness and the fatigue that you're feeling in your body. Don't go gently, Dad. Don't, don't go gently, but, but put forth a fight. Because if we lose the passion of our fight in this life, Dad, we're going to slip away. Both you and I are going to be taken by what is surrounding us and what is encompassing us if we don't watch ourselves. Come to arise on this Sunday night uh, with a church and a church family and individuals sitting in this house this evening. And I feel the burden of the Lord for this church family tonight. And I feel like telling us this evening that don't go gently into the good night. I'd like to tell the church people here today that are facing some circumstances and facing some sicknesses and disease and things that are unknown and yet to be determined. I'm here to tell you this evening we need to rage and we need to rage, if you will, against what's going on. This is by no means a time to drape our hands over the back of a pew and squander some way into a cave or a den somewhere, but we need to be a people although we are fatigued and although we feel weak, we need to arise on this Sunday night and say, I think I got a little bit more fight in me. I think I've come to tell us here on this Sunday night what we are witnessing in this age is nothing more but the prophetic word of the Lord. The adversary wishing to wear out, wear down, have the church become overwhelmed with over much sorrow. But I'm here to declare tonight we don't have to give in. We don't have to throw up our white towel. Although we may feel like it, somebody still needs just to fight another day. Someone say amen. amen. We need to fight. I know some of y'all's tired. I know some of y'all's weak. I know there are families in this church that are tired of dealing with the same old same old, getting the same reports from different voices. I know there's people that have went too far many days already dealing with stuff that they just get through every day dealing with the same thing. It's there when they get up in the morning and it's there when they go to bed at night. They come into church dragging their carcass in here with the same dilemma and the same circumstance. One wave just crashes against them and it's not but for another wave that comes upon them and the question upon our minds and our lips are how long Lord how long Lord how long Lord I don't know if I can take anymore but if you can find just an ounce of strength if you can just find an ounce of tenacity tonight I'm asking you to arise and fight Because we will not win this battle by sitting down. We will not win this battle by taking a back seat to it. We will win this battle by putting our face into the wind and continuing to fight. Someone say amen. This is not an onslaught against the family. This is not an onslaught against the individual. This is an onslaught against the church. 
You go on and start talking among your members right now. I guarantee you there's probably not many, if any, that has went unscathed over the past several weeks with what's happened in their home, in their family, on the job, in their finances, in the health of their body. There's people sitting here that feel like Job. They feel like things have been taken from them and their health is being attacked. And they're sitting there in the dust and their horn is defiled in the soil. And they're saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm Start to consider it. Look around you tonight. Look, how many times have you heard some of the names sitting in here in prayer requests? How many times have you seen some of the names come across prayer band? It's come so commonplace when some of the prayer band, all I got to do is copy and paste from the last time they were on it. We had a little pre-service prayer back there and I was talking about how it seemed like every venue and avenue of the church and people in the church has been impacted and affected by this and everybody's blaming it on God is not a surprise sermon. <laughs> but I still stand here declaring to you that God is not surprised. You have your battles. I've got my battles. But we can't stop. We cannot somehow squat. We cannot cower in a corner. No, 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 no. It's not a time to become disengaged and start to feel a little bit like God. Uh, this is hopeless and you're never going to move and so I'm just going to distant. No, we, this is not a time to grow distant from God. This is a time to grow close to God. This is not a time to lay off a prayer. This is a time to pray. This is not a time, if you will, to disengage from, from worship. This is a time to put all the armor on. Put that helmet of salvation. Grab that shield of faith. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let your feet be be shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Grab the sword of the spirit. Gird your loin with truth and say, I'm still ready for war. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. We would take opportunity tonight. We could pass around this microphone and people could tell us their story over the past four weeks, five weeks. Something longer than that. What's going on? Some would tell us about a leg batting back and forth between doctors. Decisions not being made. Gross fame would tell us about vertigo been dealing with over a year. Imbalance. Lingering things in court systems. Sister Sharon would tell us about her heart. Sister Margaret would tell us about her body just not feeling itself. Not having the strength that she used to have. Somebody hearing me? Huh? Here, people, Mason would be talking. Brother Mason, he's here. He'd testify about bronchitis and pneumonia and influenza A and B, both at the same. He'd be talking about all that. Alex would be talking about his head and, and these sinus cavities and his feet that still yet here touch and go. Sister Mason, others would talk about, man, this goes all the way back whenever I had the stomach virus and, and some people still trying to get strength and they've been weak and overwhelmed. But we can't go home. I just, is this, can I be just transparent with you here tonight? Man, I've had my own battles for the past month. Nobody else knows about except my intimate family. I have my own battles. Has some pain that started the Saturday before God is not surprised sermon. 
in my body in an intimate hidden region in my body. I've had ultrasounds. Sister Shay, I've had the blood work. They've put me on antibiotics. Just ended it this past week. Thought about halfway through this is doing good, except for this past week, pain's still there. I preach in pain. I can almost sometimes stay at my desk because of pain. But you know what? I'm here on this Sunday night. I'm standing by the pulpit. I'm breaking the bread of life because I can't go home. The war's not over. The battle's not over. The victory's not yet been secured. So I can't go home. They've not called it off. They've not forfeited. And so I can't go home. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. I'm not walking out of here. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not putting my sword and my shield on a wall some here. I'm not going to let somebody else fight it. No, honey, I started fighting this thing. And I'm going to end fighting this thing. It's not time to go home yet. It's not time to go home yet. The last thing you ever want to do is go home when you're supposed to be engaged in battle. David staying home at this particular juncture of 2 Samuel 11. Staying home. Right? Staying home for David at this particular place in the scripture got him into more trouble. Then what came down Uriah's pike for refusing to go home? You said, well, Uriah died. Yes, he did. But he died with his integrity. Rather than living his life with regret. He died with integrity because whenever it got tough and the opportunity presented itself, he said, I can't go home. Rather than staying home, as David did, and David would live a life of regret by staying home. I'm telling you tonight, better disciplined, better disciplined and better principled, amen, was Uriah. Even whenever David took him, got him with wine or whatever it was, got him drunk, the Bible says. Better disciplined and better principled was an intoxicated Uriah than a sober David. Someone say amen. Whenever we read in the scriptures, you read in the Chronicles, you also read in First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel. We read, and we've went through these lists before, the mighty men of David. He speaks of the 30 and the three that was above the 30. And he goes through his list. It's whenever he's nigh his dying hour in his life that he's recounting the mighty men that were under his care, under his umbrella of leadership. And there's several that are listed there. And some of the mighty men that are listed in the list is because of some some great victory or some great feat that they had done under the leadership of David. There are others that are in that list because they had a particular weapon, uh, a weapon of choice that they, they handled very well and that they operated very well. For some of them, their tool was a spear and they're noted in that list because of their use of the spear. There's others in there that used a sword and they're noted in that list. They're underlined and emphasized because of their use of the sword. Others, like an ox goat of all things, yet yeah, they 
they are denoted in there because of an ox goat. Yet the Bible reports some of these other mighty men that they were mighty because the Bible says here is a man that went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. And the Bible says this man also had killed some lion-like men in his day. So he's included in the list. But as we read through the list, toward the end of the list is Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. But when we read of Uriah being included in the list, he's not included in the list because there's a certain weapon or specific weapon that he wielded so well that that gave him some, some, some attraction or some attention in the list of mighty men. We don't see a specific weapon. We don't see a particular battle. We don't see a particular battle that made Uriah come to be included in that list. It was not because on a certain day he did a certain thing. And that's the reason why he's among David's mighty men. Or that he is a man that is in the list like other men are in the list. But the thing that brought Uriah, <laughs> the thing that brought Uriah in this list that we have before us in the scripture. The noblest thing that we know of Uriah is this. Is when he had opportunity to go home to his house he refused and he would not quit fighting what got Uriah in the list wasn't that he was good with a sword and it wasn't a particular battle but it was every battle he engaged in he wouldn't quit until it was over well, other people said, man, that's a good swordsman. Oh, that's a good spearsman. Others said, don't you remember on the back such and such in that little hill when he did? No, no. When they looked at Uriah, the only thing they could say concerning him is there's a man that just won't quit. There's a man that just won't quit fighting. There's a man when the odds are against him, he doesn't give a lick. He's going to keep on keeping on. Someone say amen. Said he's not a quitter. It was that trait, that trait of Uriah that would David would use to his advantage. That David would use erroneously to cause this man Uriah that does not quit to fight until he died. That would literally fight until he died. The Bible prescribes the plan after Uriah continuously refused to go to his home. To go to his house. Opportunity was availed to him. Latitude was given to him to do that. But his constant refusal. I will not go to my house. I cannot go to my house. I will not do this thing. After those words had come back to David time and time again. He understands that this man is quite resolute. This man is quite firm in his convictions. And what he is going to do. And so the plan for Uriah was this. David, of course, having Uriah carry his own death letter back to Joab. But here was the plan for Uriah. The Bible says that David had wrote to Joab. He says, I want you to put Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle where valiant men are located. David could only be successful at doing this because he was dealing with a man that wasn't afraid to fight. That might not have worked for the excellent swordsman. That might not have worked for the one that was successful on such and such hill. That could only work for somebody that wasn't a quitter. He says you can put him in the hottest spot of the battle and he's not going to retreat. 
You can put him in the hottest spot of the battle and he's not going to disappear. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you place him there where there's known men that are valiant men there. And as the battle gets intense and hot, Joab, some of you and the others, you retire from him. Do you understand this? Can you imagine, Brother Daniel, being Uriah fighting in the hottest spot of the battle with the cannot go home attitude and there's somebody on his right hand and somebody on his left hand that started the battle with him but now as he looks to his right and he looks to his left they're no longer there they are retreating they are retiring but Uriah doesn't take that as a cue to give up to walk away to turn his back no he said I started this thing and I can't they may go home but I can't go I feel the arrows whizzing by my head. I feel the, the catapults that are hitting the ground. But honey, I started this thing. Victory is on the other side of this thing. Victory doesn't come by a quitter. They're retiring. They're retreating. Uriah may have very easily noticed this. But he doesn't quit fighting. He's going to fight until his death. Don't worry, we're not putting a sign-up list on the bulletin board tonight for anybody that's ready to fight to their death, but I'm just telling you. He's willing to fight to his death. And so if you were to pass by the memorial of Uriah, the epitaph should read here lays a man that never quit fighting. That would not go home when he could have. That when the opportunity presented itself and he was even urged, he quit not. When others were retiring and others were retreating, he quit not. A living Uriah would never quit. You'll have to kill him to stop him. Say amen. amen. You had to kill him to stop him. So while there are others that were standing around boasting of a particular battle on a particular day, and others were talking about a particular war campaign that they were a part of, and others were talking about, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, all, I'm all that and another cup of coffee concerning a swordsman, a man, or a spearsman. Uriah is remembered for the man that did not quit, did not give up, did not stop, the man that just couldn't go home. Someone say amen. amen. In 1776, General George Washington was manning an army before he ever arose to the presidency of the United States. The troops that he was over had suffered death. Many of them had suffered death from misaimed muskets. Found that many of the soldiers that were in his army died of another, another fellow soldier's musket that had shot them because they never really took aim. They had suffered greatly, many of them during that time, with disease. This is all part of our history. With disease, with lack of supplies. Many times they left these soldiers in their marching orders, left streams of blood in the path where their feet had walked because there was a lack of shoes on their feet in the dead of winter along Valley Forge. Supplies were requested oft times by General George Washington, but they never made it 
they were never given. So they like shoes, they, they like metal supplies. And so there's probably more in the army that died from friendly fire and from a disease and from lack of supplies than there was anything else. But there was one night in Trenton, New Jersey in 1776, Washington towed a group of his soldiers that had been enlisted. They were enlisted for a certain number of months and at the end of their enlistment, they would always come forward to the soldiers and say, you can return now to your homes because you have satisfied your enlistment of the number of months that you're enlisted and there would be a new enlistment that would come for them. And so he goes out to tell these soldiers that your enlistment is up. You all can now go home. Amen. They had served their time. They had put their lives in harm's way and in danger. And by all considerations uh, of the governing body at that time, they had every right to leave. Washington would just prod before them on his horse, though, and plead with them how much they were, though, really needed in the fight. He accompanied that, though, with a little ginger understanding. I understand, though, the reality that you've been in war for the past X number of days, X number of months, and that you have satisfied your service. They would have the drums being beaten, asking for volunteers, but no man would come forward. Washington would just go in front of them again on his horse, simply just emphasizing something to these boys that were qualified for going home he told them very plainly he says your country needs you your wives need you your houses everything that is dear to you all these things are at stake but I understand your tiredness I understand that you're weary I understand that some of you are diseased beyond measure but I'm just asking boys of one thing just give me one more month the drums begin to tap again over in the side in the distance which was the call and the indication for volunteers to come forward. There was a soldier that felt the force of the appeal of George Washington upon his heart. And one soldier said to another, I'll remain if you will remain. And another remarked this, we cannot go home under such circumstances. We cannot go home under such circumstances. And one by one, just a few stepped forward. And then a few more. Until there were nearly 200 volunteers that agreed to stay. And there was a lower officer that asked General Washington, Sir, do we need to sign these soldiers up for re-enlistment? And Washington said, no. He said, men who will volunteer in such a case as this need no enrollment to keep their duty. They're already bound by a mission and a purpose greater than duty. I've come to tell these people tonight of the first apostolic church under such circumstances we can't go home. We can't give up. We can't turn around with our tail tucked between our legs. We can't. We can't. I'm asking to, just for one more month tonight. I'm asking for one more month. And if we get to the end of that month, I'm going to ask for just one more month. A month at a time. A month at a time. Because we cannot afford to quit we can't go home there's too much at stake I understand you're tired I understand you're weary I understand your disease but we can't go home
And I feel the Holy Ghost here. I feel like God laid this on my spirit this afternoon. I'm telling you. I came in here this afternoon. I tell you, I'm tired. I was in pain. I started praying right over here where you guys are sitting. I prayed. I laid out on this floor. I fell asleep on this floor. Praying. I got up. I went to my office. I wore out, Brother Fred. Didn't feel like studying. I laid down in my office and slept for an hour. But when I got up, heaven was talking. It was telling me that we can't go home. That we can't put up the flag of, of surrender. And if you have went beyond your time of enlistment, we need to start volunteering. Because it would have been very easy, Brother Terry, to be smug and say, I've served my time. But somewhere duty translates into purpose and mission. Someone say hallelujah. Your right says, I can't go home. I can't go home. David even asked him, man, I've sent this mess of meat and all this stuff. Why don't you, why don't you go home to your wife? Of course, he's wanting to cover up the adultery that he had with Bathsheba. Why don't you go home with your wife, labor with your wife, enjoy yourself, all this? He said, no, I cannot do that. See, Uriah came home under, under the guise that he thought David was just to call him home to ask about how the war was doing, how the battle. Uriah would never came home if he thought David was wanting him to literally go home. He thought David was just interested in the battle because that's what Uriah was interested in. But he hears, he hears, he said, I can't go home. Why can't you? He starts giving a reason. You can look at it in the scripture reading that I gave to you here this evening, verse number 11. He starts telling him, listen here. He says, listen here, David, I can't go home because there's still men in the trenches out there. As I said, this is not an individual thing right now. This is a church thing. This is a church thing. This is a church thing. But Terry, I can't go home while you're still in the trench. Brother Gross, I can't go home while you're still in the trench. Sister Sharon, I can't go home while you're still in the trench. Sister Shay, I can't go home while you're still dealing with everything you're dealing with. I can't go home while there's others in this church. No, 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 no. When they're still in the trench. What, what, I mean, what would that say? What would that be speak if I went home and they were still out on the field? Because they're just as tired as I am. They've suffered just as much as I have. He says, I can't go home. Israel's out there. Judah is out there. Watch me right here. And he said, the ark of God is out there in the tent. Wait. He says, yes, the ark of God is out there in a tent where the war is raging. In other words, David, I cannot resign myself to go home when the presence of God is still engaged in the battlefield. Somebody hearing what I'm saying? Is someone hearing what I'm saying? He said, if God's presence is out there still fighting, who am I to resign myself to the comfort of my home? If God is still fighting, I'm going to get under and support what God, whether it seems like he is doing or not doing, he's there. I, 
said the ark of God is out there and so I can't go home because the presence of God is still out there on the battlefield and if God's presence is still in the fight then so am I let me ask you tonight has your God thrown up his surrender flag in your circumstance has your God thrown up the white flag in your situation and condition if he's not you need to find the gusto back in your fight and go forward because the ark's still out on the battlefield and we need to walk in tandem Psalms 132 in verse 1. Look what David, this is David. This is David pinning in the Psalms. And consider the words of David. This is David. Lord. Remember David. Speaking of himself. And all his afflictions. How he swore unto the Lord and bowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come. Listen to him. David. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Years prior to this moment with Uriah, David said, I'm not going home until... The ark, his presence, has a home. <laughs> Second Samuel 6, you can read it. That's where he went and got the ark of the covenant. He's trying to find a place for the house of God. David says, I'm not going to my house. I'm not going on my bed. I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm not going to get comfortable there whenever the ark of God still needs to go home. <laughs> that was David several years prior to this moment. And so I ask you tonight, what happened to the David of Psalms 132? What happened to the David of 2 Samuel 6? What happened to that, that David that refused to go home? That David that refused to take comfort and repose on his bed until the ark got home? <laughs> Someone say amen. amen. The David, listen to him. He said, Lord, look on my afflictions. At that moment, he even had some junk going on in his life. But he said, I'm not going home if the ark isn't. Where is that David right now? The David that right now there is affliction again, but he stayed home rather than going to war. And the ark's on the battlefield and it's not at home. I don't know this with certainty, but I have a, a feeling in my spirit, and I have probably good indication that somewhere in the distant past, because Uriah is under the command of David. He's one of his mighty men. That somewhere in the distant past, Uriah had learned this. You cannot go home trait from his commander-in-chief, David. But David, right now, if you will, has stopped raging against the dying light. David has went gently. David has went gently because as kings are going to battle, as the Bible says in 2 Samuel 11, when kings are going to battle, David is getting off his bed in the king's house. When others were going to war, David was tarrying at the house. When the ark 
the presence of God was going before them in the battle, David was retreating to the house. Folks, what's ever happened to the words of the Apostle Paul that said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now watch me now, Romans 8 verse 35. These are verses that probably several of you know. Let me rehearse them in your ears. This continues from that concept of God before us who can be against us. Verse 35, Romans 8, Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. <laughs> Where you are right now and what's still yet to come down the pike. <laughs> nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what's Paul saying? He's saying, I'm going to rage against tribulation. I'm going to rage against distress and persecution and famine and peril and sword. I'm going to rage against it because if the presence of God is in the battle, and we go home, we have separated ourselves from the love. We've separated ourselves from the love of God. Listen, folks, listen. I don't want to be insensitive tonight. Uh, I know we all stand in our own ground, but we have a similar thread going among us here this evening. I'm telling you tonight, I'm not going to, I'm not going to second guess, uh, amen, the, the difficulty of it not being easy to discern his presence on a smoky battlefield. But the trained eye of a soldier will always be looking up for where his banner is. Flying high. And as long as it's there, we can't go home. We got to keep on fighting. Think for a moment with me, if you will. How confused Uriah must be in this scenario. He emphatically asked David, shall I go to my own house? This is the man that before would not go. You're telling me to go. The ark's still on the battlefield. Shall I go to my own house? And he answers his own question. I will not do this thing. Folks, I don't know what the voices of persuasion are in your life right now. I don't know what the voices of persuasion are. It may be the adversary. It may be your flesh. It may be other people that know you. I don't know who may be persuading saying, you just need to kick it out, go home. Oh, that church thing's really helped the Gross family, hasn't it? How's that going for you? Why don't you just go back to what you were before you went to that first apostolic church? Because life might be better for you then because it hasn't it got just a little bit harder after you came to the church? Let me tell you, you need to say, shall I go back? Uh-uh, uh-uh, I shall not do that thing. I cannot... <laughs> Uriah was, you know, they say when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But what was going on in Uriah's life was that when the going got tough, the tough went home. But Uriah had done decided that quitting was not a luxury that he or Israel could afford. 
Because he, he, he was different than some. He was not the soldier that showed up after the fight was over to scour among the slain to gather the spoils. <laughs> no, he was the one that was there when it started. And he'll be the one that was there when it's finished. Someone say amen. Look at this. Nehemiah 6. I got to go. Nehemiah 6 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Jeshim, the Arabian, the rest of our enemies, heard that I had builded the wall, Nehemiah is saying, and that there was no breach left therein, though at times I had not set up the doors, at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Jeshim sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And that's what, what Nehemiah was thinking, oh no. But they thought to me to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great, everybody say great. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot, notice the word please there, cannot, I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And they sent unto me four times after this sort and I answered them after the same manner. I cannot come down. Now look at verse 3. He said, why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? So what that tells me is this. Nehemiah could have gotten off the wall. It truly wasn't, it truly wasn't a thing about him cannot. Yet he frames it like that. I cannot come down. He frames it as though he had no choice. In other words, Nehemiah didn't say when they said what they spoke, he did not say, I will not come down. As though he had a decision. He says, I can't come down as though he didn't have a decision. See, there'll be two parties of people in this church. There'll be those with the voice that say, I will not. As though you have a choice. And there'll be others that will confine themselves to, I cannot, because you say, I don't have a choice. I'm in this. Nehemiah had a choice, but he approached it as though he didn't. <laughs> Someone say, Hallelujah. I am convinced tonight that we can become so entrenched in the work of God, the war of the Lord, if you will, that the very choices of quitting and retreating can become no longer an option to you. Some only know how to walk the path with their head constantly cocked over their shoulder. And some learn how to walk to set their face like a flintstone. Now, there's something, listen to me. God brought this back to my memory here today. Because whenever we read of this occurrence in, in Nehemiah chapter number 6, this is not whenever they began working on the wall. This is not whenever they began working on the wall. They're just not starting. This is not at the half a, halfway stage where the wall is halfway complete. That happened earlier in chapter number 4. This is not the halfway spot at the wall 
where we seen that they were very, very much so discouraged and dejected and so on and so forth. This is not the halfway spot. Hey, man, that is already done. The beginning has already taken place. Where we're at in the story of Nehemiah right here, we are nigh to the completion. We are nigh to the completion of the wall. He says, basically, the only thing we still yet need to do is set up the doors and the gates around about the wall. That's the only thing keeping this thing from being done. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. So we're not at the starting point. We're not at the halfway point. We are at the completion stage right here. Whenever they're saying, why don't you come down? And Nehemiah says, I can't come down. And I can't go home. And they ask him four times. And four times he says to them again, I can't leave. This is a great work. Now listen. The people that were building this wall were not skilled builders. Brother Gross. Their brick and their mortar was not lining up. This was not the work of some skilled builders. We're talking about a wall that was about one and a half miles long or even in circumference. Amen. This wall was nothing to write home about. Now, they're not taking pictures and putting it on Facebook and Twitter. Look at what we're working on. These were not trained professionals. But this is the work God had called them to do. And so they're building. They did it in just over 50 days. Scripture even relates to us. And so the quality of the wall is not great workmanship. Yet, Nehemiah says, it's a great work. It would not meet the pages of the pictures of some of the great archaeological discoveries of the world as being a great edifice this wall would not. But Nehemiah says it's a great work. It would not stand up to the walls that Babylon had. Yet Nehemiah says it's a great work. It would not compete with the hanging gardens of Babylon. Yet Nehemiah says it's a great work. (laughs) Because he understood what he was involved in. God was involved. What he was involved in, God was involved in. Man, I preached a few Sunday mornings ago. I understand there's some hills and mountains we don't need to die on. But if it's a mountain that he's willing to die on, then that's a great mountain. That's a great work. That's a great battle. That's a great purpose. And he says, I cannot leave what God is involved in. I know, folks, it's hard to somehow process all this, to think about what you're in right now is something that the Ark of the Covenant is involved in and the presence of God is involved in. You need to step back. I know it looks horrible. I know it hurts. I know you're wondering. When, I know. Believe me, I know, no, 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 no. I'm waiting for the morning. I wake up, and it's not there. As a matter of fact, whenever I gave my money personally to missions just this past week I thought maybe the boomerang effect is I'll give God will heal I don't know amen I'm thinking all this stuff but what I gotta understand is this I can't retreat I can't go home because somewhere in the middle of all this I may not understand it I might not know all the whys or the answers all the questions but God is in this work so this is a great work though it's foreboding and intimidating it's a great work and I cannot go home Because you'll read several verses further down in Nehemiah 6. I think it's verse around verse 15. And the Bible says this. And they finished the wall. They 
finished what they were involved with and in came to a completion. But my post to you is where would it have been had he came down and went home? Would it remained for a period of time an unfinished work? We got to stay with it, in it, for it, trudging along. Because, Brother Powell, I don't know when the work is going to be finished. It may be tomorrow. It may be a month from now. But I got to stay at it to see it to completion. So church family, I know you're weary and well-doing. But if you faint not, you're going to reap what you sow. I know that you can be faint and still yet pursue. Because that's the word of God. You can be. And so I'm trying to tell somebody here in this place tonight, take heart. Find that second breath of air. Find that next tomorrow that you're going to wake up and things are unchanged, but you're still going to be fighting. Find, if you will, the fortitude and the gumption within your spirit to not come down, not go home, not retreat, not retire. Stand with me here in this place tonight. I can't do it, David. I can't do it. There's other people in the trenches, and God's still in this. God is still in this. Some of you feeling like you're on the forefront in that hottest spot, but God is still. You know, I can't go home. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I can't go home. Tell them under these circumstances, I can't go home. It's a great work. I know by all human standards, we could think of something perhaps better. But through the, through the eyes of heaven, and on the spectrum of God, this is a great, it's a great work be a lot of pain associated with it disappointment discouragement all that but this is this is a great work and God's still in this thing his presence is still in this thing have you seen his hand of provision even in the midst of it have you felt have you felt the sweet breath of the Holy Ghost come upon you although it's still trying and difficult at times have you felt just that reassurance of he's still in this work He's still, he's still, he's still, he's still. I can't go home. I can't go home. We bow our heads all across this building today. Bow our heads all across this place today. I felt the Holy Ghost in this service. I felt the Holy Ghost administering the word of the Lord tonight. I know without doubt, I don't have to ask, have hands or anything. I know people are exactly where I've been talking about tonight. 
But you do not have an option. You can't go home. You do, but we need to act as though we don't. We can't go home. If there's anybody standing here in this place tonight, you've been going, you've just been going. You've been traveling a long, long, dark alley. It's been a long road. It's been disappointment. It's been frustration. It's been hopes have been taken to the ceiling, and then the bottom has dropped out of them again. You thought it was about over, and it came back full circle to intensify. But I'm telling you, sir, ma'am, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot go home because there's another brother and sister that's in the trenches here tonight and God's presence and power is right in the middle of it and we can't rest we cannot sleep and if the ark goes home then you go on and retreat but as long as it's there you just got to ride it out honey you just got to ride it out these altars are open tonight for whosoever will you got something riveting your body with pain disease you got circumstances that Causing you to question and ask why you can't go home. Just put your shoulder to the grindstone another day. Give me another month. Just give me another. Would there be a volunteer that beyond duty you'll go with the purpose? You'll go with the purpose. You'll go with the drawing of the spirit that's still involved, that's still engaged, and say, I'm going to support that. I'm going to get underneath the load of that. I can't. I can't. I can't go home. Brother McGee, you don't know how, how many times already in the past weeks opportunity has been presented to me just to throw it in the towel. Just to give up. It'd just be a whole lot better. Things would probably get better if you just throw in the towel. But something has kept my, something has kept my feet planted in the house of the Lord. Something has kept my root diving close to this river of water of life. And I can't go home. I can't uproot. I can't turn around. I can't surrender. It's not part of my vocabulary. I'm known as a fighter. I'm not known as a quitter. Come on, church. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.